Thanks, here. All right, let's check. I'm here. Yes, good morning. I hope you all had a Merry Christmas. Uh, I certainly had a, uh, had a blast. My mom is in town, actually. She's right there in the first row. Sorry, I just put her on the spot. Came all the way from Puerto Rico to visit. So uh, anyway, thank you for being here. Um, also, as I said, Sarah is here. She's visiting from the Grove, and she's helping us. And uh, also her husband and her two beautiful kids right there, actually. They're right there. Um, thank you for being here. Sarah uh, was one of the first people that Katya and I, my wife and I, saw worshiping uh, at the Grove, which was the church I used to attend. And, uh, and we were always just so amazed by her voice and how she uses uh, her gift for God. Something that we're going to be talking about today. The funny story, uh, I heard for a while before Sarah told this directly to me that she knew I was Puerto Rican. And so she, whenever she talked about my name with other people, she'd say, Ricardo? Oh, you mean Ricardo. Ricardo. And uh, yeah, so I found out because some people told me and then I confronted her and yes, it was true. And she still does it to this day. So she's not embarrassed about it. She's not doing it. Uh, it she's not hiding from it. <laughs> um, all right. So today we'll be talking about what it means to be healthy members of the body of Christ. Now, this is a subject that's very well explored in scripture in the New Testament, um, now, specifically, why do I bring this up now? Because I feel that before we can uh, talk about what our identity as a church is, our mission, our vision as a church, who we are corporately, we need to understand how to first be healthy members of the body of Christ. So that means, in a sense, we need to revisit our identity, our individual identities, right? I mean, we're, if we're thinking about a foundation that we build upon a building, a structure, then those, those bricks need to be in the right place and they need to be structured appropriately with Christ as the cornerstone. So what does that all mean? What does it mean for us to be healthy members so that once we understand our identity in Christ, we can then go and say, all right, let's rally behind the vision, the mission, the identity of what the mission here in Redlands is, pun intended. Uh, so we need to figure out what our individual missions are as well so that we can talk about our corporate mission. Uh, today we'll be looking at the main scripture uh, being 1 Corinthians 12, 27. And I'm reading from the ESV, if you want to write that down. And this is the scripture, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So for those of you that are not familiar with it, the New Testament in the letters, specifically Paul, talks a lot about how we are all, this analogy about how we are all members of the body of Christ, Christ being the head of that body. And consistently he talks about this in the context of unity and how we can each uh, provide different functions and gifts that we're given so that we can better complement each other, grow up, and as a result be an effective church. So when I think about individual members in the body of Christ, I think about, first of all, things that I've seen or concepts that I've seen in the secular world that apply this concept. 
For example, I'm a huge fan of basketball. My mom knows this. I grew up playing basketball uh, throughout high school. Uh, I was a shooting guard, but I'm a short shooting guard, you know. Uh, JP over there, he's a much better shooting guard than I am because he has an actual outside J, and mine has lately been very bad. But I think about, when I think about basketball, and I think about teams that have been able to win championships, You always think about, yes, there's a lead player in there, but there's also a lot of role players, a lot of important people that made it work. Let me give you an example. If you're not familiar with basketball, after Michael Jordan retired the first time in 1994, he came back in 95, 96, and actually at the end of the 95 season, they lost in the playoffs to the Orlando Magic. Now granted, he wasn't in full shape yet, but... Phil Jackson, the coach back then, yes, he coached the Bulls, and some other people came in and said, all right, we need to compliment Michael Jordan. We need to start bringing in people that can help our system because Michael can't win by himself. In fact, this is something that Michael Jordan had been through in the past. He knew that he couldn't do it all by himself, even though he was the star. He was the most gifted, but he couldn't win a championship by himself. So they brought in someone, for example, Dennis Rodman, Let's not talk about his outside life outside of the basketball court because that was weird enough itself. But Dennis Rodman came in and he filled in a powerful gap. In a, in a mighty way, he started rebounding and he started defending. He couldn't shoot. He couldn't make a jump shot. He couldn't, sometimes he'd miss layups. But what he did, he did in such an amazing way that it made the difference to get them over the hump. And eventually they won a championship. Now he's not the only one. There's another basketball player that comes to mind when I think about role players that aren't stars, but they fit the role the right way. The one that comes to mind is Robert Ory. Now some of you might know this name. Robert Ory played, yeah, Mark over there celebrating because he did play in the Lakers. He won a couple of championships. Actually, he started with the Rockets. And he helped Olajuwon to win two championships in the 90s. Then he went to the Lakers, the Spurs. So he actually has, I think, seven championships, more than Michael Jordan as a role player. But he has seven championships, more than Kobe, more than Magic, more than Shaq. But as a role player. And you know what? Teams sought him. Even though he wasn't a star, I don't even know if he ever became an all-star in the NBA. He was so important. And to this day, Shaq... Kobe, Olajuwon, they all say, Robert Ory, he's the man. We needed him. Without him, those championships aren't possible. Michael Jordan himself would say, well, if Scottie Pippen had not been on my team, I couldn't have won those championships. Role players matter. And when we think about being individual members in the body of Christ, we need to understand that. There's teachers, there's apostles, but then there's also the people that do the the behind-the-scene things. And those can sometimes be taken for granted, just like people like Dennis Dennis Rodman and Robert Ori were taken for granted because they didn't do the superstar stuff. They weren't doing the amazing dunks. They weren't doing the flashy stuff. They were doing the hard work. They were doing the the behind-the-scenes necessary elements for the team to excel, to go over the hump. Right now, there's a team, by the way, in the NBA, not that this is a basketball lecture. <laughs> there's a team in the NBA that's only lost once, and they're like 27 and 1, 20, I don't, I lost count. Golden State Warriors, boo, I don't like them. But they're doing it well because they play so beautifully together as a team. San Antonio Spurs, the same thing. They play together as a team, and the leaders, the superstars, sometimes sacrifice to enable the role players to do their task efficiently. So that's very important. When I think about 
than individual members in the body of Christ, the first thing that I think of is that we are functionally individual members in the body of Christ. We are functionally individual members in the body of Christ. And I would highlight functionally, because what we're saying is that we're individual and we are important in our roles, in our functions within the body of Christ. I'm, you know, I was just looking around this morning, by the way, and there's a lot of people that do behind-the-scenes things here at the mission, and it, it always moves me powerfully. It's funny because we were in the sanctuary earlier. The band had finished rehearsing. They, they were done. I'm walking around, going over my notes, and I look back. Dex, who's in the seat in the back doing sound like he always does faithfully, which doesn't get a lot of attention, but he's a rock. And you know what he was doing? There was a, there was a, a set list music, worship music that was uh, in the sanctuary and that we usually do that. And he was worshiping. I saw him. I, I, I didn't want him to see me, but I saw him. He was raising his hands and he wasn't doing it to show off. He was just by himself there worshiping. And that's essential here because that thickens the presence of the Holy Spirit in here. If he's not doing that in here before, he doesn't set the tone. There's some people that some Sundays come here and pray over the seats of this church. That's powerful. That's unseen. That's not what I'm doing. I'm here and right now the spotlight's on me. But what I'm doing is in a sense less essential to those people that are praying over the chairs. Because if God is going to fill this church, it's God. It's not what I'm doing. Whether I'm a good teacher or not, or whether Jason's a good teacher or not, or whether someone else is a good teacher or not, that's, that stuff kind of matters, but what really matters is how God is using our gifts, our individual gifts, to complement each other and do things sometimes behind the scenes. I have a passage that supports this bullet point, and this is Romans 12, verses 4 through 5. I'll say that again so you can write it down. Romans 12, verses 4 through 5. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Again, we are functionally individual members in the body of Christ. And I think the most important thing that we can take away today is that all of those functions are essential. The next point that came to my heart that God shared with me as I was preparing this message is that a healthy church is made up of healthy members. A healthy church is made up of healthy members. I'm going to go into a very specific context when I say healthy members. I'm talking about renewed minds. That's what healthy members look like. Members of a church that have given up their frame of want, their frame of mind, they've held every thought captive to Christ, and now they're saying, okay, I am being molded, shaped, transformed, renewed by Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit that now has been given to me, secured through His salvation, nothing in me. But He is now molding me. And that's uncomfortable, because that means that sometimes I have to let that word that dwells richly, as Brian was saying, he, it has to sometimes lift some ligaments and some uh, spiritual parts and remove and let me know, hey, you, you, you do this and you think this way and that's wrong. So for example, if depression is defeated, defeating you, then you need to renew your mind and start thinking about how now, through salvation, you're an adopted son of Jesus Christ. You've been seated in the hev heavenly realms, as Ephesians said, with God. Those are 
counter-truths to the lies that sometimes we speak to ourselves, and that's where we need to renew our minds with counter-truths to the lies. We need to, and the only way to do that, by the way, which is why I love that Brian brought that scripture, is through hearing with faith. In fact, we talked about that when we started our series on hope. When we talked on our series on hope, I talked about the fact that by the Spirit, through faith, we eagerly await the hope of righteousness. I kind of paraphrased it there. But in Galatians, it talks about that through hearing with faith, by the Spirit, through faith, we eagerly await righteousness. Meaning that the only way we can live a righteous life, first of all, we receive righteousness from Jesus Christ. Declared. You're declared righteous. But second of all, your life changes. You start living righteously. You're not a, uh, a slave to sin, you're a slave to righteousness. And that only happens by hearing with faith. And the only way to hear, what are we hearing? The gospel. We need to let that word dwell richly. I'm so excited that he said that because uh, I feel like God is confirming that, yes, we need to make sure that while we rally behind, behind a vision, we're really rooted in the word. We're reading the word and it's changing how we talk, walk, and act and how we interact with people and how we think about things. Renewing our mind. When I think about renewal of mind, it means that I no longer filter the Bible. That's, how, that's the first step in being a healthy member of a church. There are people who hear and, and read what the Bible says and they say, I kind of don't like that. Let me try to justify a point of view that I have. Political, social, uh, whatever, whatever point of view that you're kind of sticking to and you don't like, you're uncomfortable with what the Bible says. And then you say, no, no, I'm, I'm going to justify it somewhat differently. I'm going to nitpick. This part of the Bible is solid. This one, uh, not really. And that's where we need to renew our minds. And I think we all go through this. There are parts of the Bible that are uncomfortable to each of us. But renewal of the mind says, you need to give up some of these. I went through that. I had certain political points of views on both sides, and I had to kind of go like this, because I needed to live with a biblical frame of view or a biblical worldview. There's a difference between what the secular world is selling to us and what they approve as moral, righteous, and politically correct, and what the Bible says, what God says. It's funny how we try to filter the Bible through our point of views or for, through what's politically correct or socially acceptable, where it should be the other way around. And that's where we really re- need to renew our minds. I think that's really where, what it goes to. One of the translations of this verse says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. There are some patterns, again, and ways of thinking that are just not scriptural. They're not what God is teaching us and telling us. They're not the truths that he's revealing to us. So I realized that I had to filter myself. We need to filter ourselves. We need to find what are those beliefs that don't belong there and put the ones that do belong. We need to realize what God is teaching is what's correct regardless of how I feel about it and let that change me. And let me tell you, it liberates. It frees you from some burdens. We're going to talk about that in a little bit, but it could really free you from some burdens. Hold every thought captive to Christ. Renew our minds. The third point, healthy members find their roles within the body according to their gifts. Healthy members find their roles within the body according to their gifts. One time at the Grove, 
I told the worship leader over there, we were, one, of the, one of our uh, side singers wasn't there. I told him, you know what, I think I could sing this song and play bass at the same time. I was wrong. <laughs> Didn't work. <laughs> I learned it the hard, hard way. The next day I told the worship leader, his name is Adam, I told him, don't let me do that again. Just don't let me do that again. I could do backup maybe, that's about it. I need to recognize that's not my gifting, and that's okay. It's liberating, actually. Uh, We need to have that ability to discern what our gifts are and what our gifts are not. And that requires renewal of the mind. And as I said, there's certain patterns of the world that we're taught that aren't correct. One of them, which previous generations taught millennials or or Generation X, um, they taught us that you can do anything if you try really hard. That's not true. <laughs> you can't do anything if you try really hard. So let me give you an example. I tried really hard in the 10th grade. I took a drawing class. And I am terrible at drawing pictures, whatever it is. And I worked so hard. I know my mom remembers this. I worked really hard. I would take pictures in my house and I'd try. I worked incredibly hard. And guess what? Working hard leads to improvement. Guaranteed. But I still can't draw for the life of me. There's some people that from age five, they would look at that corner over there and they draw the corner with that perspective. It takes me forever to do that. And some of them didn't try as hard as I did. So one pattern of the world, one lie that we're taught is that we can do anything. And it's not true. Um, I think that w- the, the idea is that we can do anything that God has gifted us with. Now, and this isn't, by the way, referring to Philippians 4.13 when it says, I can do all things in Christ through who strengthens me. That's a different context. What I'm talking about here is being humble and being realistic and knowing what areas you're gifted in and what areas you're not gifted in. I tried as hard as I could to play bass and sing at the same time, lead a song. Yikes. I tried as hard as I could to draw. Didn't work. So, all right, I'm not doing that. That's not my area. I can try to improve it for fun, but I'm not going to lead worship while playing bass up here because that would be detrimental. <laughs> that wouldn't help the body. I wouldn't be doing my function well. The passage that I have here is Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. Romans 12, verses 3 to 8. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he thought to, uh, ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that defer according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And I've seen how people can have those different gifts that I just don't have. I like teaching because uh, I always felt... Like it was a natural place where I could stand up, embrace it, and just talk to people, and that's why I teach math. But I don't have the, the gift that, for example, Coffee Mark has. 
Coffee Mark has an amazing gift that sometimes goes unseen. If you don't know who I'm talking about, there's a guy in this church called Mark who always every morning on Sundays is out there serving coffee and giving a just a warm greeting to everyone. Last week, someone came over in the morning uh, right before service started and said, Hey, Mark, how are you doing? He said, I'm praising God through through my gift and through you know serving coffee to people. And he, it seems like such a minuscule role, but that makes a bigger difference than what I'm doing here right now. That makes people feel welcome. That shows people that we are about our walk and not just our talk. It just makes such a powerful difference. When I see people like Jennifer behind the scenes or Teresa and many others, Karen, there's just too many for me to mention. You see them doing the little things behind the scene and you realize, wow, that's powerful. That's what's making the big difference. So when we rally eventually about uh, behind the church vision mission, who we are, that's what we need to rely on, knowing that we all matter in the kingdom of God. We all matter, and by the way, because of the value that God gives us, it's not in our gifts. Bullet point number four. Healthy members are not members of sin. Healthy members are not members of sin. Now, if we want to be a healthy body, we need to make sure that we are not slaves of sin, that we are slaves to righteousness. i got to be careful here because people might think that I'm saying you need to be perfect. Well, we are called to be perfect, that's for sure. But First John tells us that if you say there's no sin in you, you're lying. You're deceiving yourself and the truth is not in you. So we need to understand that when I say healthy members are not members of sin, we are, that means that we are people that are striving for righteousness. We're walking in righteousness. Our fruit is good acts that build and encourage the kingdom of God. Do we occasionally sin? Yes, but we're not okay with it. We strive to cut those out. And we are supernaturally empowered to defeat that sin by the very Holy Spirit. So there's a difference between saying, oh, we all sin. Yes, but we understand that as, as we receive Christ, we're now empowered to do something completely different. We need to renew our minds and say, yeah, grace applies, but grace is empowering me also to put aside little by little those little pebbles of sin that I have in my life and start walking even more righteously. And this is a lifelong process. We never complete it because it's by grace. It's not by our own effort, really. Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. It's by Him and by His grace. It's by His Holy Spirit. It's by hearing with faith the very message of the Gospel that we continue to do this. So it's only completed when we meet Christ. And He completes it. And anything that we believe we're doing ourselves, He's actually empowering us to do it. But we need to make sure that we walk by the Spirit. That means that there's a part that we do which means intentionality matters. You have to intentionally try to walk righteously. Now, you're not walking righteously to earn your salvation. Jesus did that. But if you did earn, if you did get salvation by His merit, then now you're starting to exhibit fruit of the Spirit. Now you're starting to overcome sin. Uh, when I spoke about a month ago on the gift of uh, the hope, specifically the hope of righteousness, I talked about how before in the past... I had some serious sins overcoming me. Now they don't overcome me. I do sin every day with other things, but I'm not overcome in, in, in a powerful, I can't take control of my life anymore way. 
Now I'm in control, not by my own strength, but by the strength of the Holy Spirit. So that's what we mean here. Healthy members are not members of sin. Now, we're talking about the body of Christ, so why am I bringing that up? Because if we persevere in sin, if we don't, if we just neglect it, we say, I don't care, this, you know, I got grace, it's okay, and just keep on sinning, it hurts the body of Christ. If we're not a healthy member, then it hurts the body of Christ. I've seen this at another church. A very important member committed a sin that was very public and serious. And the onslaught was just, it was severe. Some people just decided to walk away from their faith. They're accountable for that. I'm not saying that that's that person's fault. But he was a factor. He was a stumbling rock. And the point is that if we want to be a healthy church we need to understand that I need to stop the control of sin in my life, not just for my personal sake, yes, number one, but also, if I want to be an effective body, I need to stop the sin in my life. Because if what a person comes into the mission and they see and they know me, I invited them, but they see that outside of church I'm always living a life that's contrary to what I preach, how can I have an effective ministry? I need to show them that I'm being that I'm being changed daily. It's okay if they see weaknesses, but if they see how I, am, how I react to those weaknesses, how I decide to overcome them, not by my own, but by kneeling down and praying, that just makes total difference. There's a difference between looking at a person at a church and saying, oh, he just lives a free life without caring for any sin or whatever, and seeing a person that recognizes their, their struggles and their weaknesses and tries to overcome them by the power that God gives them. Huge difference. The passage I have here, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? So again, here's the context of sin and how it affects the body. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Again, it's not just us that we're affecting. We're affecting the very body of Christ. The analogy, again, of how we're united, that rupture that happens when I sin, how the, 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 the bricks that hold this house together, this house of believers, start stumbling and our effectiveness as a ministry becomes... Uh, uh, not as effective because of the sin that we're bringing into the house. Sin affects other people around you, and it affects the church that we're a part of. Bullet point five. Healthy members don't find their value or identity in their gifts. It's funny. I'm talking about gifts. Why am I saying this? Healthy members don't find their value or identity in their gifts. What I mean by this is that when you are a person that's gifted, you recognize first and foremost, it's not by anything that you did. I mean, you polished them. You developed them. You made sure to sharpen your skills in your gifting. I had to work in some of my teaching, uh, uh, I guess you could say teaching skills, because when I first started teaching, someone told me that I would always teach with my back to the audience. And I was writing on the board, f of x equals x squared plus 3x, and that's not effective teaching. So I had to find a way of teaching and talking to the audience at the same time. So I needed to work on my skills. But still, I had a gift. I had that gift. So what am I trying to say here is that when I look at the gift of teaching that I've been given, 
I understand that it was given to me, and yes, I sharpened it, but it's not by me. I can't walk around and say, I'm so awesome because I can teach, and I can play bass, and I can recognize a note when you play it on... No, that's all given by God. I think about art. Pablo Picasso, the found, one of the two founders of Cubism in art. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, it doesn't matter. He's a huge figure in art. And uh, he's a Spanish was a Spanish painter. Um, if someone were to find uh, a work of art by Pablo Picasso, and let's say that work of art came to life and started walking around, and the work of art starts walking around saying, I'm so good, look at me, look at all the color, the, the design, the contour, the way I present every perspective in such a beautiful way, look at how amazing I am. The first thing I'd say to the painting is, you didn't make yourself. What are you talking about? You're acting as if you made yourself. You're acting as if that beauty that you have is from you and from your walk and from what you've been able... No. It was the painter, Paolo Picasso, that made you that amazing, that wonderful, that glorious. That gift, those colors, those contours, those are the different gifts we have. I can't find my identity and my value in those. There's a lot of danger in that. I need to recognize, thank you, God, you've given me a gift, but my identity, who I am, is much more than gifts. Gifts is just how God is going to use me. It can't be my identity. I have some scripture here. This is probably the most scripture I have for this bullet point. First uh, Corinthians 12 verses 5 through 7 and 11 through 14 and 21 through 26. So I'm going to read through it real quick because I'm running out of time. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Your gifts are empowered by God. Pablo Picasso did those paintings, not, not the painting itself. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. You're good at something just because God willed it. Not because you made yourself good at it. You sharpened it, but that's about it. You are good at that because God made you good at it. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. I'm going to skip ahead. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So again, we all have different giftings, and we all have different degrees of those gifts, but we don't compete Our identity can't be in our giftings. When you place your identity on your giftings, here's what happens. If my value and my identity is on how well I teach, what happens when a person teaches better and comes into my school? How am I going to feel? Oh, I should stop teaching. He's better than me. God isn't going to use me anymore. He should be the one. See, we can't see it that way. I'm not a teacher 
in the identity sense, in the spiritual sense, I am a child of God because God adopted me as son and he gifted me. And the degree of that gift doesn't matter. The degree of that gift isn't what gives me value. What gives me value is the fact that I am a part of the body of God. That's my next bullet point, my last one. Healthy members have ultimate value in being members of the household of God. Verse, Ephesians, excuse me, chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus, Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's the value. My value is not in the degree of my gift. My value is in the fact that I get to be a living place for God. (laughs) That's insane. I get to have communion by being the dwelling place of God with all of you together with me. And I don't care about whether I have a certain type of gift or not, or whether Mark does it better than me, or whether Mark plays better bass than me. What I care about is that I have the gifting that God has given me to make me a part of the household of God because He's adopted me. That's the ultimate value. We exchange the glory of God for sin. And God said, I love you. My son will die for you. And now you will be a part. You're adopted son. You are part of the body of Christ. You are my dwelling place. You didn't deserve it, but I did it. That's our value. That's our identity. That's how we become a healthy member in the body of Christ. I'll close us with prayer as the band comes up and as the ushers start coming in for the offering. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, teach us to find our identity in being a member of the body of Christ, not in our gifts itself, Help us use our gifts to find our roles within the church, but not find our value in the gifts themselves. Help us find the value in being a son and daughter of you because of what you did, because of your love, and in being workmanship of you, Lord, that you are making us into a new creation, exchanging beauty for ashes, Lord. Take the offering, multiply it, and help provide for all those in need, Lord. May we grow through our offering, but also may we be able to impact with our offering the city around us. May we be able to be salt and light to those around us and provide to those in need in a mighty and powerful way. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.